Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I'm your host Jay and I'm once again joined by Eddie. Hello. And this time we are looking at two games from the Star Wars franchise. The only two that are in the list, so we're covering them both in one go. We've got number 63 on the list, which is a Star Wars arcade game from 1983. And 52 on the list, which is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic from 2003 for various consoles, PC Xbox. I don't know if it came out on PlayStation. Was it an Xbox Microsoft exclusive deal? Yeah, it was, uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, two games. We'll we'll start with the arcade game, because probably less to say about that one, just given how little there probably is to say. I vaguely remember playing it in the arcade years and years ago. I mean, it must have been in like a really run-down arcade, because by the time I was going to them, given it came out in 1983... I'm surprised it even still worked, but it in its heyday, it was quite a, a piece, wasn't it? Because it had the full cockpit with surround sound and everything on certain models. So you really got the full experience. And I mean, you look at it now, and it doesn't look that bad to say that's how long ago it came out. Yeah, no, the sprite work on it, it's it's obviously been put together with some sort of love for the Star Wars franchise. Because even at a distance, the, the models are not just your usual 16-32-bit pixelated mush. Because, yeah, the TIE Fighters and stuff in it, are it's obviously all linear, isn't it? So it's all that linear style of, what was it called? Was it like vector graphics or something that they yeah. used back then? Uh, so the TIE Fighters, but they really look good and they move as they move, they look 3D. And as you move your ship, the stars actually blur in and out of focus, so it looks like you're moving in a 3D space. Uh, the Death Star leaves a bit to be desired when you see that in the distance. That does just look like a sticker sort of stuck in the background. But, I mean, yeah, and it's got voice clips in it, which sound terrifying, but for 1983 on an arcade board, they're quite impressive. They're obviously crushed to hell, but you can tell what they say. And you can tell that it's certain characters from Star Wars that are saying them. And it's it's got a lot of variation in it. I think one of the complaints we had about Pac-Man and Tetris from this era was that it's very samey. And you once you've done it once, you've done it the whole thing a million times. Things don't really change. Whereas this does. So you get a part where you're flying through space and taking out TIE Fighters. Then you get a part where you're going through the what's it called, the tunnel or whatever it is, on the Death Star. The trench. Going, the trench. And you have to take out so many targets on the wall before you get to the uh, exhaust bit. And if you do that and then shoot that, you win the level and move on to the next one. But then in certain levels, you get the spacey bit. Then you get, as if you're on the terrain of the Death Star before you get to the trench, taking out turrets and pillars and that kind of thing. So there's quite a lot of variation and the difficulty ramps up in that when you get into the trench, there's more obstacles the further in you get. And on the very last, I think there's 10 waves. On the 10th wave, getting through that trench looks near impossible because there's just bars sticking out all over the place that you have to go above, below. And it's a bit like the turbo tunnels in in Battletoads, in that you've got so many things to dodge at such high speed. But yeah, that's I suppose that's how it made its money, because the, the actual fighting bits aren't that difficult. It's the, the trench bit that, that is where it, you end up losing your lives and, and obviously sapping your money eventually. We've been overly harsh to retro games and said that we wouldn't play them anymore. This one, I think, if I was in the full surround sound cockpit with the music and everything and the voice, I probably would play this. So yeah, if it was in one of those retro arcades where you can put as many credits as you want in, I probably would play through it, I think, just for the experience of having the surround sound and the the feeling that you're in the cockpit and and taking it on. I think it's it's held up surprisingly well to say it's as old as it is. As backhanded a compliment as that is, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it it's from a time when it's a bit of a, a mixed bag because it's before the time when video game tie-in, uh, sorry, movie tie-ins weren't as tarnished as they are now. Normally, yeah. the studio churns out a tag-along game title to launch alongside the release of the film to just sort of cash in. And I appreciate that E.T. 
for the Atari probably didn't do that much in the way of <laughs> flavors, which is just from around this time as well. But it's at a time when obviously they companies wanted to invest a lot of time and invest a lot of energy into getting people into arcades because of Star Wars and all other movies that were out in the cinema at the time. So they did invest a lot of their focus into it and you got a polished product and you got the effort put into the cockpit and the sound effects. Like you say, compressed though they are, they are still recognisable. And even the you get sort of sound blips of the TIE Fighter engine yeah, noise, yeah. which is pretty iconic for the series anyway. It's one of the most iconic um, noises from the uh, film. But yeah, it's it's from a nice time when it wasn't overly done and it wasn't hammered home and it wasn't just Jesus Christ throw something together so that we can get it as a tie-in to go alongside this film. And there have been loads over the years and none of them have really held up. Quite a few in the Star Wars franchise. Not you don't yeah. have to go out outside of this franchise to see that. I mean, the two we're talking about today aren't from that area, which is probably why they're on the list. But there are quite a few in the Star Wars franchise. Uh, what's the fighting one called? We've mentioned it before, I think. Oh, the one-on-one fighter. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot the name of it now, but that is a terrible game, and that was obviously just to cash in on. On the Star Wars franchise, to, oh, we've not done a one-on-one fighter yet. Churn that out, and it, it doesn't hold up very well. But this one does. It, it was a weird one to do as well, because you had lightsaber wielders versus people with blaster pistols, and it's like, mm. well, they don't come off well in the films. Yeah. So how do you expect them to... Uh, the It was called Star Wars Masters of Terraskazi. That's the one, yeah. And it, I think there's one character in it, from what I remember, that is incredibly overpowered, and then everyone else is just about average. And if you pick the yeah. one that's overpowered, you can just smash through it. But this one, I think the the nicest thing you could say about this game is that at the time, this is exactly what people would have wanted from a Star Wars game. The time wasn't advanced enough to give them a side scrolling. If you did Mario, like Star Wars, but in a Mario style game. It wouldn't have worked back then. You wouldn't have had the detail to get... Like, Mario works because it's simple, doesn't it? It's jump and jump on things, and you get the odd power-up, and that's about it. You couldn't have really incorporated a lightsaber or a blaster. or Well, a blaster, maybe, but you couldn't have got the detail in the characters because Mario's very basic, and all the Star Wars characters are quite detailed. So this is what you would want in 1983 of a Star Wars game. It's the, the flight scenes. And almost a flight simulator, I suppose, in in what it was, with with the shooting and the dogfighting built in. So yeah, I think they they got it right, and it got ported to God everything at the time. Atari because Atari made it, so obviously they ported it to their consoles. But then it was on Commodore, it was on Spectrum, it, it just went everywhere, didn't it? And most of the ports don't come off as well as the arcade game as was the the standard at the time, but. Yeah, the the fact that they wanted to put it on everything just shows that it, it had already been a success in the arcades. And there are still the cockpit versions of these existing out there. I mean, you're probably going to have to go to somewhere quite special to find one now. You're not just going to find one knocking about in, in the arcade down at the coast. But if you can find a cockpit one, give it a go, because I'm sure that was the version that I played. And I must have only been about five, maybe. I can't have been much older than that because they didn't they wouldn't have been around for much longer than that. But yeah, and as someone who wasn't massively into Star Wars, I still have that little memory of playing it, which you'd think if I didn't enjoy it would have just been gone. So yeah, I think we've been kinder to this than we have to the other 80s games on the list so far, but I think it just deserves it because I think they, they deserve to the credit for not doing too much with it. They could have tried to do a flight bit and a side-scrolly bit and a first-person-y bit. Or, you know what I mean? They could have tried to make it way more than they did and it probably wouldn't have turned out as well. But they focused on the bit that made sense and it came out really... They, they obviously focused on that. Then they focused on the music, which is, for the time again, spot on. You've got four or five different iconic pieces of Star Wars music in the game that are all, even like chiptune, really identifiable. 
And I think that's, again, to their credit that they put the effort into that. So, yeah, I don't, I, it's hard to pick fault with it, really, for what it was. Would I play it a lot these days? Probably not. I'd probably play through it once and then that'd be enough. But I think it deserves some points for just how well it was done in, in the 80s. Yeah, definitely. Um, and to say that they didn't do a, uh, too much with it, what they did wasn't standard operating procedure, really. It was a bit... I mean, the nearest thing you'd get to something like this in terms of the flight and the shooting sections was Star Fox. And that wasn't for another five, ten years at this point. No one had ever really done the sort of flight sim from this angle anyway. It was more um, side-scrolly, um, up-and-down, like R-type sort of or thing. Or um, yeah. yeah, or Gradius or something like that. Whereas this is just so different. And it's probably why it's so well-regarded that it is not your usual flight sim stuff. Yeah, because you've got almost full autonomy in the flight bits, haven't you? You can go... You can see the Death Star, which is your target, but you can swing left, you can swing right, so it completely goes out of view. I think you've got a little bit of movement in terms of up and down. I don't think you can... You can't go down and you can't go up, but you can aim up and down, obviously, as the as the enemies are coming towards you. But yeah, you can swing it fully to the left and fully to the right and completely go off course of where you're going if, if some of the enemies try and circle around you and stuff. So to do that in, 19, in 1983 was so ambitious. And like you say, again, it would have been so easy for them to do a side shooter or a like a um, Space Invaders type thing, bottom upwards, and just take something like that, reskin it with a, a Millennium Falcon and some TIE Fighters and some X-Wings, and just churn that out. And people still would have probably enjoyed it, but this was so much more than that. And I think, it, it, like you said, it set a basis for this type of, I don't know, what would you class it as? Flight sim, but with battles as well? Yeah, like Star Fox, isn't it? Star Fox is probably the closest yeah. thing to what this is. I mean, they've done, they've they've taken this sort of model and this format and they've churned a lot of Star Wars games out from it since then. So you've obviously got the TIE Fighter, the Rogue Squadron series. There was one a couple of years back on the PS4 that came out, which was, I think it was Rebel Squadron or something like mm. that. And that was okay. And it was... I mean, it was set in first person, but again, it and it had free roam to it, but it was still this at its core so it's obviously and it is like you say it's one of the things that fans love about star wars are the space battles it's either that or the lightsaber battles and i think we are still at a point where we haven't had a game yet that has fully managed to replicate the feeling of wielding a lightsaber yeah i mean jedi survivor for me comes close the but again it is a lot of I don't know, you do feel sort of like you're in control of what you're doing because the combinations are so intricate and you can, especially in the second one where you can throw it and you can split them in two, I think, in in the second one, can't you? Whereas in the first one, it's just an either two-ended or a single one, whereas this one, you can have two lightsabers at once and that kind of thing. So you do get that feeling of control over it, but yeah, it's a lot easier to create that feeling in a flight sim battling game than it is in a game where you want to use a lightsaber i think what was the one that came out was it just called episode one the one that came out to tie in with the film uh that had quite good lightsaber mechanics because you could ping the bullets back and stuff couldn't you and yeah um and that that one that wasn't a bad game to say i'd say the game's better than the film which i know isn't a massive stretch (laughs) but yeah that game's great and then they did a lego version of that game and film didn't they which which seems to borrow from the film and the game. So yeah, that was that was probably one of the better things that came out of Phantom Menace, I would have said, that that game and the Lego game. But this one just works, I think. I think that's the best thing to say about it. It just works. And they've done, I think they have done, have they done a remaster of it relatively recently, did you say, that you'd managed to download something? Or was that a different Yeah, one? so... So the PlayStation did a sort of a, a retro review 
thing of a load of Star Wars games where they re-released a load of old titles. They did Star Wars Bounty Hunter, which was for the GameCube originally, and I adored that game. They did Star Wars Pod Racer, which again I had on the N64 and is probably up there among some of the most well-loved Star Wars spin-off titles. And I think that is probably one of the best bits about the Phantom Menace is the yeah, pod yeah. racing section in the film because it's high octane. It's it's it was something different to what we'd seen as mm. well because obviously you can't get that speed from the original trilogy, uh, but the CGI had come on so much by that point that it was just completely mind blowing to kids. And then they did the Star Wars arcade, and then I think they did one of the Star Wars Jedi Starfighter games, which was meh. Mm. So the fact that they thought it was worth bringing up to date to an extent. I mean, I, I don't think they probably did much to it because if you did try and improve it, you're going to lose that the vector graphics feel of it and, and everything, aren't you? So they probably just ported it over and polished it a little bit. But we've said probably enough on it now, but I just think it maybe I'm in a good mood, I don't know. But I just feel like it, it did a lot well and it deserves a relatively... I mean, I'd, I'd go with sort of mid-70s which for a, an 80s game is ridiculously high for us. I, th- I think that's fair, um, because nothing managed to recapture what it did either. Uh, I mean, even up until the point where you got fully 3D rendered graphics, they took a long time in getting back to a, some sort of standard that was like this. Hmm. Um, and that is saying something from 1983. Let's give it a 76, do you reckon? Yeah. Uh, so, moving on... Two Knights of the Old Republic from 2003. I didn't play this one at the time because I wasn't at the time a, a Microsoft kid. I was a PlayStation. I was very much encamped in the PlayStation side of things. I had a PS1 and a PS2. It wasn't until the 360 I switched over and I certainly didn't have a PC that would have played this at the time. So I missed this one. And I've tried to play it recently, as recently as about two hours ago on my Steam Deck, but it, it just doesn't get on well with it just because the control scheme is not conducive to being played on, on a handheld system. So it was a bit of a slog. I put a few hours into it to, to see what it was all about. And yeah, it was tricky because we'll get onto the control system, I'm sure, shortly, but especially on a Steam Deck, it was near impossible to play. So yeah, I think if I'd have played it on... I think the Xbox is probably the the prime way to play it, but I think even on a PC would have been better than what I experienced because you it's a combination of keys and mouse, and and the Steam Deck doesn't have a mouse. It has a little trackpad where your thumb goes, which made it incredibly difficult. So I soldiered through just to say that I've played it and just to see what it was like, and then I watched a video of somebody else playing it for a bit just to, to get a feel for what it was like. But it's, it's Bioware, isn't it? So... Yeah. It came after one of the Baldur's Gates, mm-hmm. and it, it is so obvious when you play it that it is the forerunner for Mass Effect. Yeah, definitely. To be honest, um, when I was doing a bit of research about it, because I had it on the original Xbox, and it was the litmus test, a bit like Crisis was uh, shortly after it, for how good your PC was at the time. So if your PC could run this, it was a good PC. It And sort of <laughs> Crisis has carried that on, and pretty much most games that are modern releases are a true test of um, CPU and uh, processing power. But when Bioware were originally approached by Lucasfilm at the time, they were given the option of, you can either do a standalone thing and do your own thing with it and you but it has to be set thousands of years before the this new trilogy that we're doing or you can do a essentially a rehash of attack of the clones and do a game version of that and thankfully they picked this they picked the hard idea really because jesus christ the script for attack of the clones is (laughs) an atrocity george lucas can't write romantic script to save his life and the I think he had an idea in mind where he wanted the series to go and then he tried shoehorning a love story in there and it I think it just went to shit after that really um so I'm grateful that BioWare did pluck up the courage and go no do you know what we will take this beloved series and we will do something different with it yeah I mean I've seen them all I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world in terms of the films 
I like a lot of the spin-off stuff, especially the games, but the films themselves... I, I like the original trilogy because I grew up with them. The second trilogy I've watched once and couldn't care less about. And the new ones, I'm sort of... I've seen bits and bobs here and there, but we've never actually sat down and watched all, all three... Well, all five, is it, of the new ones? Because there's three of the mainline ones and then there's Rogue One and Solo, isn't there? So yeah. we've never... We've not watched all of them. We've seen bits of some of them. So not a huge Star Wars fan, but more so towards the games. I had a couple of Star Wars games when I was younger that we tried to find before we started recording this. And for the life of us, we can't find the game that I used to have. It was a a late 90s PC game where it was first person and you had a lightsaber. And I cannot find that game anywhere. So whether it was a demo I had and it just never became a real game, I don't know. But that's the one that I mainly remember. And then, oh, what was it called? There was another one where it's basically like Doom. It's just a Doom clone, but with all Star Wars characters in it. Is it Dark something or other? Dark Forces. I think the one you might be thinking of was... I think it's called Jedi Academy Dark Forces 2. Right. Maybe. Oh, so did they like mesh two games together? They mesh two games together. So And that one, you do get a lightsaber in it. So it may be that. That makes sense because it was, yeah, it was first person, but it definitely had a lightsaber in it. So maybe that's because they were two separate games originally, weren't they? Like a a third person one and a first person one. So, yeah, that would make sense. But, yeah, I liked that. I liked Pod Racer, even though I was rubbish at it. And it was it frustrated me to hell, that game, especially when I was playing with friends and they were all better than me. at it. And I did. It's one of those that I'm not naturally good at that kind of game, but I played it so much that I got good enough that I could beat people on it. And it became fairly competitive. So I liked that one. As I say, this one passed me by. But now I've played it, I can see why it is so well loved. Because, like you say, set 4,000 years before Phantom Menace to completely separate it from what comes later. Which is sort of a blessing and a curse because it's similar to Hogwarts Legacy. That's set years before the Harry Potter films. So the the good side of it is you can have this complete freedom and you can do what you want with the game because really there's very little you have to tie in into the canon because you're so far behind it that you don't have to worry about that too much as long as you don't write something in that... And even 4,000 years before, what could you possibly write in that, <laughs> that could then affect the later ones? So you've got this free reign. And I think they said, because it was set so far before, didn't they, that any ideas they came up with LucasArts just green lighted it straight away because they, they genuinely didn't care what they did because they knew it couldn't affect what came later. But the flip side of it is you then can't have any memorable characters in it or people where where players will go, oh, I know that person, all right. Do you know what I mean? It, you can't do that, even to the point where it's got lightsabers in it, but you would also question, well, would they have had those 4,000 years ago? Like, would that not have been a more modern advancement? So it's, yeah, a bit of a double-edged sword because you can't stick Yoda in it and go, oh, look, there's Yoda and, and have, like, a cameo or something. You could have, like, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or something, and it, it's got droids and stuff, hasn't it, that aren't anything like the droids in the new ones, but they've got similar, like, not personalities, but one of the ones that you can recruit is, is very similar to C-3PO, isn't he, but a bit more gruff and more battle ready i would i would say so you've you've got that link and you can tell it's set in the star wars universe but it could not have been and it still would have worked as a game if they'd have just used no star wars license this game would still have been good and it would still have worked but that just adds to it this little bit more flavor and it, it pulls it all together but yeah it's it's very story driven isn't it it's it's got the what would later become the Paragon and Renegade thing from Mass Effect, you've got the light side and the dark side. So that's where that comes from. And it amazes me that they didn't try and put the Star Wars license on Mass Effect because that would have been a phenomenal game. And you can you can feel it in Mass Effect, can't you? The Some of the oh, aliens yeah. that you meet on planets and stuff are very Star Warsy, like the little mole people that speak through the little masks, you could see them in a Star Wars film. Like, no, you wouldn't even bat an eyelid. So you can feel that going through it. But yeah, it is very storyline-driven. I think there's four different endings. 
depending on what character class you pick and whether you go dark or light, male, female. So there is, I'd say, I say replayability. I think it only affects the final mission. So everything else in the game leading up to that bit is very much the same. And then the last mission, you can get four different versions of it. So if you're wanting to experience everything this game has to offer, you're going to be doing a lot of like repetition. But I think that's good because I think it gives people the chance to, if you only want to play it once, that's your story and you get that ended and that's it and you're done. And that's what I did with um, is it Heavy Rain, the PlayStation, oh, yeah. where it had about 200 endings. I played it once and I got the ending I got and that was it. That was that game's experience for me and I didn't go back to it. And I think it's very similar in how this plays. But it's a bit more brutal than Mass Effect, isn't it? Because you can take people out that have full story arcs for you to complete, and if you kill them, that's it. You just can't do their stories anymore. Yeah, it is It is very much a Bioware game. It's got the Telltale Bioware writing and the Telltale Bioware humour as well, mixed in with a little bit of the Lucasfilm humour from the droids' standpoint, as they are always the comic relief characters in it. And they are also usually the most endearing characters in the entire uh, film that they're in. Everyone likes the droid and doesn't like it when the droid dies. But it is, yeah, it's very much a Bioware game. But at the same time, it does stuff that I don't think any other Bioware's done since. Because like you say, it is very free reign in terms of what you want to do. The branching dialogue trees are a bit simplistic and a bit boiled down, but I'm assuming that's because coding it for multiple choices for multiple outcomes of every single conversation would have probably melted most PCs at the time or you'd have had to have played it on something the size of a house or it'd have been yeah, about is... 20, 20 discs or something long if you were playing it on the <laughs> yeah. xbox just to incorporate all oh you've made this choice now put in disc seven or something like that and and carry on playing it and it's i think the other thing to point out sorry to cut you up but because of LucasArts' involvement in it, the production value is off the scale. So you've got Bioware's vision of this open-world space adventure that would later probably become Mass Effect. But then you've got LucasArts backing it, so it's fully voiced. The music is spectacular. You've got that perfect mesh of those two things. And I know, like, obviously, Mass Effect is fully voiced, but Mass Effect wasn't out in 2003. What was it, 2003? So to get a fully voiced with this many characters and this many lines of dialogue in 2003 is ridiculous. And that, I think, is LucasArts' influence on it because they, some of their games are fantastic. Well, a lot of their games are fantastic, especially the point-and-click ones. But this is a completely different genre for them, but they've put in the same amount of dedication with it. Yeah, and you can also feel sort of the LucasArts' influence in terms of the plot twist. So obviously Star Wars is quite famous for its plot twists. I mean, it's one of the all-time biggest cinema plot twists of, of well, since cinema's been running, to be honest, the whole, sorry for no this. Spoilers, but, Eddie, no spoilers, Eddie, no spoilers. But uh, the I Am Your Father bit from Vader in Empire. I mean, I'm not going to say anything about the twists, air uh, quote, from the third lot of trilogies, because that was shit. Um, I haven't but seen there that, is a so sh- Oh, I'll not ruin it, I'll not ruin it, <laughs> but it's crap, so you're not missing much. But there is a plot twist within this, and it is, there's no telegraphing for it, and when you get to that point and you just go, oh, oh, that's clever, and it does just pull the rug out from under you a little bit, and it's 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 a very Lucas film twist. In terms of negatives, for me, I think, the control scheme is the big one. And I know that that's coming from someone who's experienced it in not an optimal way. So if it was much better on the Xbox where you've played it, fair enough. But on the PC, I can't imagine it's much better because you've got... So your movement is on the keys, isn't it? On a, a, a standard PC, your movement is on the keys and then your vision is on the mouse. So to turn left, you have to put the mouse all the way to the left side of the screen and then your character will turn left. But if you don't snap it back to the middle quickly enough, you'll go far too far past. And then the mouse sensitivity is fairly high on it. I don't know if you can turn it down. So you'll snap it the other way and then you'll spin the other way. And 
you've then got to click on specific things to engage in battle. So it's not this is where it differs from Mass Effect quite drastically because you don't just run into a gun into a, a fight and start firing an aim like you would in a first person, third person shooter, do you? Each enemy has got an icon above their head and you click that to indicate who you want to attack from from what I experienced in it. So it's almost like a turn based fighting, except it's real time. It's a very strange thing to try and explain because it feels like it's turn-based, but it's not. It's all happening in real time, but you have to pick who you want to attack and click them and choose how you want to attack them on a little drop-down type menu. Yeah. And it's it's a strange way to go. I'm, I don't know why they went that route. It's a strange one. It's very fiddly, the interface, and the Xbox does not improve on it very much at all. Aside from analog stick movement, which is obviously so much better than key and mouse mm. because you have that little slight precision with what, and you don't end up swinging wildly from left to right. But like you say, it is a sort of hybrid system, but not to the extent of a hybrid system, a modern hybrid system between sort of free roam and turn based in an RPG where it doesn't matter where you stand within your little biome of battle you're still going to get hit with an attack, and so is your opponent. But in this, you can sort of move out of range, mm. and you can, they can sort of fluff their attacks and miss. But at the same time, it's a bit Kingdom Hearts in terms of you have to click attack, then you have to open a drop-down menu, and then quickly select what it is you're wanting to attack them with, whether it's blaster or lightsaber or force power or something like that. And it's it just becomes a bit of a mess, and it becomes a bit of a mess very quickly as well. Um, and I, that's what put me off the Xbox version. I think you can pause it, can't you, and and stack your attacks while it's paused. And I think that's the way you're meant to play it. But getting yourself into that headspace that, right, there's a battle here, pause, I want to attack this person, then I want to attack this person with this, and, and plan out your battle and then unpause and let it unfold is quite a difficult thing to get into in a relatively fast-paced, what feels like a third-person shooter game, and then all of a sudden it isn't. And I don't know if it would have been better just sticking to being a third-person shooter game. I know this brings that level of strategy, which because it, it's coming from a background of Dungeons & Dragons and Baldur's Gate and all that kind of thing, isn't it, where you get that level of micromanagement and menu choice and all that kind of thing so i get where they were coming from with that but for me it just feels like two separate games that don't mash together very well at that particular point and everything else in the game's fine like the fighting's fine if that's how the fighting is going to be and you approach a battle sort of almost like a cutscene, and then you play the battle out and they're all a bit like um xcom you play the battle out as a cutscene almost that works but this is like like you say you can still run around while you're trying to click these menus so you're trying to move yourself around out of range or back in range while still trying to put your mouse over these cursors to pick things and your mouse also controls where you look and what direction you run in especially on the pc and it just all becomes a bit much and it's getting used to that slowing it down by pausing it and figuring it out while you're in the pause mode and then unpausing it and letting it happen and it works that works really well in games like ftr where you can pause it and you pick what area of another ship you want to attack or where you want your crew members to go to start sealing up damage to your ship and all that kind of thing but in this environment it just feels like you're going from one thing and you run into a battle and you just want to be able to aim your gun and shoot or get your lightsaber and start slashing, and you can't because you've got to pick it from a drop-down menu on a certain enemy and then move to another one and pick that. And Maybe there's a better way to play it that I didn't figure out in the couple of hours I played it, but it just for me, that was the big issue. I enjoyed it, and I can, I can enjoy both parts in isolation, but when you smash them together, it just felt really awkward. And again, I wasn't playing with the best control scheme, so... Uh, probably making it more difficult for myself than it needed to be. But yeah, that, that bit didn't work for me personally. I know some people probably love that aspect of it, but for me it was just 
it wasn't what I expected from the game. I knew it was an RPG and that you could build your stats and learn powers and upgrade and all that kind of thing. But I was expecting it to just be running and do battles as normal with these upgraded stats and powers, not right now, wait, turn it into a turn-based thing that isn't a turn-based thing. And, and yeah, it was a bit jarring for me. I don't know if you experienced anything different. I mean, it, it is sort of telling that... They, there have been two sequels after this, um, and they have massively moved away from this original control scheme to the point where it's now an MMO. So it's obviously not that control scheme, because this control scheme in an MMO environment would not work at all, <laughs> where you've got 40 players on the same server all pausing and slowly <laughs> skimming their way around the map and clicking loads of drop-down menus. It just, yeah, it <laughs> wouldn't work. The Xbox was better in that, obviously, thumbstick controls, but the clicking on specific things and being able to move in and out of range and the pause and the drop-down menus was a lot more fluid, which isn't usually what I would say in terms of a point-and-click, hack-and-slashy sort of thing from a PC, not usually translating very well to gamepad. But there there have been rumours for years now that they are remaking... Knights of the Old Republic, and if they do, um, and it's it has been pretty much confirmed by both Bioware and Lucasfilm that they are going to do a, a remake of it or a remaster. It'll be interesting to see how they do handle the controls from that. Just whether they do bring it into the twenty first century and make it, or whether they do stick to because Baldur's Gate three has this control scheme. Yeah, and it it's sold so well, and it's just—I think, don't think you can change it now. I think it's it's so what this game is that yeah, if you if they changed it to accommodate me because I'm used to Mass Effect running, shoot, target, take cover. If they change that to accommodate me and people like me who that who prefer that control scheme. The people that have been playing it for 20 years that are used to the old are going to complain. The only way they could do it is to put in two different control schemes and let you yeah. switch between them, which isn't unheard of. But I just think in a game like this, it would break the mechanics so much to try and have both that they just wouldn't be able to do it. Because it's not just the, the battle, is it? You have to, if you try and open a door and it's locked, you get a little sub-menu and you use your security skill and then it opens it. Or you can switch between who you're controlling because you put a little team together, don't you? And they all have different skills, so you can click their picture and it switches to them and then they'll be able to open doors that other people can't because they've got that certain force power or whatever. And that all relies on a mouse pointer being on the screen to then go into those menus. And if you take away that battle mechanic and the mouse pointer, then you're going to have as much of an issue pausing and flicking through menus with triggers and whatnot to change characters that that's going to slow the game down so you can't really win other than do it how it currently is and people just have to if they want to play it adapt to it yeah there is a game that came out it's probably pushing 10 years now um and it's by a company called Supergiant games and they've done a lot of games that i consider some of my favorite games of all time so they did bastion they did Pyre, they've done Hades, which is the roguelite, like um, and they're yeah. all beautifully cel-shaded, beautifully voice-acted, um, and they did a game called Transistor, which is about a young redhead woman with a huge sword, sentient sword, essentially, and it has a similar battle mechanic where you can you can either run around in free roam and engage sort of robotic enemies um, in sort of free-form combat, um, or you get a, a choice where you can literally pause the battle and everything moves slowly, like minute little steps forward while you're doing it. You can then move your character in, in sort of freestyle and sort of sneak up around the back of a robot and you get um, like you get four different sort of attacks and then you can modify those attacks with sort of like special skills or special buffs and stuff like that. Um, and then you press unpause once you're happy you've selected all the moves and your character does the thing where she runs around the field, stabs everything in the back. The problem is you've got to hope that the enemies don't move 
once you unpause it because they're still mm. slowly moving but when you unpause the game everything returns to full speed time and they could be moving out of range of your attack so just because you've clicked on it and told her to attack it by the time she's moved there it's moved and your attack misses so it's a bit like vats but in fallout but the, there is a bit of movement rather than it completely freezing the game yeah and you can yeah you can target loads of different bits and then it just does it all when you unpause yeah that sounds interesting. I do, I do like Hades. That is one of my favourite roguelikes. Apart from the fact that, other than the shield, I'm rubbish with every other weapon. So I've completed it with the shield about 100 times, and then I can't complete it with any other weapon. I don't even get like anywhere near the last boss. Uh, but I did really like that game. But it just that was one where there's so much to do in it. It almost feels overwhelming. To to like you you look at how many people you have to give stuff to 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 progress their quest line and whatnot, and you only get one or two of those things every run through if you're lucky, and that's sort of when I stopped playing it. I'd done as much as I could with the shield. I couldn't get on with any of the other weapons, no matter how much I tried, and that's when I eventually stopped. But I really do like that game, and I think it went off of Game Pass as well, so that that put a spanner in me playing it. But I played that a lot. I probably put probably upwards of 20 odd hours into that which when you think it's just a roguelite that's you meant to play it for 20 minutes and turn it off every so often it's it's quite a lot to put into it but yeah that that other game time i'm glad you said that she had an absolutely huge sword because i was worried what you were gonna say after the <laughs> the elongated huge uh on a family friendly podcast so <laughs> i think we got away with that one but yes, if any anyone listening has not played any of the um, Supergiant Games uh, library, Bastion, it, to be fair, they're all really, really solidly designed and really solidly playable games. All of them are available on modern consoles and definitely available on Steam. And I know Hades 2 is out next year. Ooh. So it's the daughter of Hades rather than... Zagreus, ah. who's the son of Hades, wanting to escape That's from hell in, in the same way. Oh, I'll probably get that, I think. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one enough that if I hadn't done so much on it, I probably would have bought it, but I did enough on it during Game Pass that I didn't really need to pay for it anymore. But if there's a sequel that doesn't go on Game Pass, which is what, tying back to our topic uh, for today's episode... That's what they did with Jedi Survivor. You got that day one on Game Pass for the first one and everyone loved it. And then they did a sequel and went, ah, no, you're not having this one for free. (laughs) You're going to have to go out and buy this one. So I'm just biding my time hoping that it does eventually come on to Game Pass because I love the first one. We've not got an awful lot of time left, but let's, uh, let's give Knights of the Old Republic a score and then we can talk about a couple of other Star Wars games before we finish. I'd I'd probably say that despite the fact that it's obviously the uh, progenitor for Mass Effect, I think it should score lower than what we gave Mass Effect 2 because Mass Effect 2 is so far and away a more polished product. This is still very rough around the edges um, and it's very of its time graphically. You can tell it's an old game just by looking at the, uh, the sprite work on it. Let's see what we gave Mass Effect 2, because the list's completely broken. So we gave that a 73. So we've, we have been very generous with uh, the arcade Star Wars, but it's two, it's apples and oranges, isn't it, in terms of those two games? Yeah. They're both good for different reasons. I think, what do you think, 71, just to have that yeah, differential? Yeah, Because it deserves to, the fact of how big of a fan base it's got and the production value on it and all that, it deserves to be up there. For me, the control system lets it down, and I know that's partly because I've played it in the worst way possible. But also, like you say, I, I can't in my head I can't see how that's going to translate onto the other platforms any better. And like you say, Xbox slightly better because you've got the precision of the analog sticks. But even then, one of your analog sticks is in, essentially controlling an on-screen cursor. It's not controlling you in a typical third-person game like. I don't know, Skyrim or whatever, the other analog stick isn't actually controlling where you look, is it? You still have to hit the edge of the screen to get it to spin you that way. And so even then, it's still going to be a bit tricky. And it's probably as well because I'm coming to it late. If I'd have played it in 2003, 
like we've said a million times, where you buy a game and you have to persevere with it, whether you like it or not. I'd have probably adapted to it and I'd have got used to it and I'd have really enjoyed this because this is what I like in a game with your branching paths and your dialogue choices that do sort of have a little bit of an effect on the game even back then in terms of a lot of the dialogue choices alter your dark and light rating, don't they? Much like the Paragon and Renegade in, in Mass Effect. So they do have an effect. It's just it tends not to be until right at the end when when you experience what they cause. So yeah, I probably would have loved this at the time. And I think 71's a fair score because it's it's up there for us. We've been a bit stingy on some scores in the past, haven't we? So <laughs> 70s aren't aren't bad at all, really. Yeah, um, I just hope that if they do manage to get themselves around to doing the remake or the remaster or whatever, that it makes EA realise how talented Bioware is as a company. Mm. Because they they obviously wanted to do a Star Wars licensed game and a Star Wars RPG licensed game when EA purchased them. But EA did what EA always do, and that is just went, no, I want you to make me something that's like the next big thing. And the big thing at the time was Destiny. And they made Bioware make their own version of Destiny called Anthem, and it was shit. And basically, EA did what EA does every time. They buy a developer, make them make something that is completely out of their comfort zone, when the project flops, they blame the developer for it rather than them for making the business decision. Throw a tantrum and basically drag the developer's name through the mud so that they don't give them any projects for years and then buy themselves another fucking ball pit to go and have a tantrum in. And it's just like, come on, EA, just, just you bought them for a reason. They are talented writers and talented developers. Give them a project that they are strong in. Am I not right in thinking as well that EA already had a game that was similar to that in Star Wars Battlefield? Yes. So they didn't really need to develop another game no. that was in that, that same style anyway. Just let them have the Star Wars license and do a Star Wars Mass Effect. I mean, because yeah. that would be amazing. You make a you make Mass Effect, but with a Star Wars storyline over the top of it, because the problem with Mass Effect was the end of it, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So if that had been a Star Wars game, where this new race was coming across the galaxy to take over, it, it would adapt into a Star Wars game so easily, wouldn't it? It it, it just it would work perfectly as a Star Wars game. So the fact that they've never let them do that is just... Is there fireworks or something going off outside your house? Yeah, I was just about to say, don't worry, <laughs> folks, I'm not being bombed. There are fire. It's unfortunately spooky season, and we are getting towards the 5th of November, so of course all the... Beds have decided to buy fireworks <laughs> and set them. We've not had them all week. <laughs> We've not had them all week. And yet, as soon as I decide to record, it's like, aha, I know what he needs. Perfect. Well, it's, it fits in with the Star Wars theme, I suppose. There's a, yeah. a dog fight going on outside. So, yeah, that's that's covered the two on the list. Other Star Wars games that we've enjoyed. So, for me, it's the main one is Jedi Survivor. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think it was. It was well done. It was the combat was good, if not a little bit difficult in places. It it employed that Dark Souls type if you heal yourself everything respawns, which works, I think. The only the only negative I've got about the game, or a couple of negatives are, even though it's very sort of you can go off and explore, it's still quite linear in mm. what you have to do when you get to these planets. There's not many routes you can take. It is very much you go from A to B, and then usually there's a little shortcut to get back to A again, and then you leave that planet and go somewhere else. But my biggest issue with that game is the maps. The maps on that game are absolutely atrocious. They are less than useless. You bring up the map, you can't see where you are, you can't understand where you've got to go. There's one planet where I got stuck on it, and I couldn't get back to my ship for about two hours, because the only, the way I got across was like a one-way. You I think you went on a ladder or something and it fell over this chasm. And then I couldn't get back and I just couldn't figure out a way to get... And it turns out there was this one little ladder hidden around the back of a house. You could climb up on that and jump across this roof. But the map didn't help me with that because the map didn't point that out. And then the map's got like multiple layers all sat on top of each other. 
and you can't see anything. And it is just so... And I don't know if they've improved that in the second one. I really hope they have. Because other than that, that game was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. I loved scavenging for all the cosmetic upgrades, all the actual useful upgrades. I loved the fact that you could customise your lightsaber and it it actually changed combat if you went for the Darth Maul double-ended yeah. one rather than the single one. It wasn't just a cosmetic thing. It actually changed how you fought and all that. And yeah, I think that was a brilliant game. And it, it gave us, um, what's he called? The little droid? Oh, uh, I can't remember its name. Yeah. It sits on your shoulder, doesn't it? But it's like it's one of the to get that much personality out of a little thing that l- literally just beeps and jumps around was fantastic. Yeah, like I say, it, the droids are the best bits of most of the films. To be fair, you've got BB-8, <laughs> you've got K2SO from Rogue One, who is one of my favorite droid characters. Even all the spin-off films and series that we've had, so Ahsoka, the recent series that came out on Disney Plus, Hu Yang, as he's known in that, was a Jedi trainee droid, uh, training droid, and he's voiced by David Tennant, and has that very dry Lucasfilm wit about him. But yeah, I, I can't remember what the droid's name is. Um, but th- with the, with reference to the map, it is the reason Dark Souls doesn't have a map in any of its games. It just expects you to free explore because it knows that if it tried to put a map in, it won't make any sense. So it's called ZN4A4 or Z? That's that sound right? Oh, is it? Or, or am I, I reading that? that? Have I read the wrong thing? I may have read mm. the wrong thing. BD1. BB1, that's it. What the hell is this one then? <laughs> I googled droids in, Sorry, st- in Jedi Survivor. Right. What's Wait going a few on minutes and try setting up again. Everything. Also try unplugging this device and plugging it back in. What is happening today? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's he's called BD1, um, the the little uh, two legged droid that climbs up your back. You've got fireworks going off. I've got robots <laughs> interfering. I, I've googled what the droid's called, and it's telling me. That it's called something completely different. Oh well, if you, oh. if, I, I, I don't want to look anymore in case another robot kicks. But if you know who ZNA4 is, drop us a message on Facebook and tell us because I'm not I'm not researching anymore because it's all going wrong. <laughs> right, yeah. So for me, that's my favorite. I think one of my favorite Star Wars games. Um, never got on with the 2D ones on SNES. They were far too difficult. Didn't particularly like the N64 ones, although I know a lot of people have a soft spot for those ones. But for me, I never really massively got into them. And then, yeah, Pod Racer, which I think the main... Again, I've said this about Forza a couple of weeks ago, last week. The main reason I like the Pod Racer one is because you can get all the upgrades and and pimp your pod out and all that kind of thing. So for me, the racers are secondary. It's just I want to get enough cash to upgrade my my ride and make it a little bit easier for me next time. So those are my two. I don't know if you've got any that you're particularly fond of. One of my all-time favourites was Rogue Leader from the Nintendo GameCube. That was its launch title alongside Luigi's Mansion, which is a weird launch title for a, uh, for a uh, Nintendo <laughs> console. Normally, you get a Mario or a Zelda to launch a Nintendo console. No, we got Mario's runty little brother and a random Star Wars license game that just so happens to be one of the best Star Wars games because it's a flight sim, sort of third-person flight sim, rather than in in cockpit view. And it covers bits around the original trilogy. So in between like A New Hope, um, Empire and Return of the Jedi, it sort of fills in the gaps and it's based around the titular Rogue Squadron and you get to fly X-Wings, A-Wings, Y-Wings and every other wing that's a chromosome. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's a tremendously good game and again, one of the, (laughs) surprisingly, another game that Nintendo has not ported onto any other console <laughs> since. So, yeah. Did the N64 not launch with a Star Wars game as well? If it wasn't a launch title, it must have been very close because everyone I knew that had an N64 had, was it Rogue Squadron, the first one? Yes. Nearly everyone I know had that for N64, and I'm assuming that's because it came with it. So I don't know if that one launched or it was very close anyway. But yeah, that was that was a big one at the time, wasn't it? Because you could fly around and do the, the one where you take down the huge 
gone because I I always get them the at-ats. wrong way around. So the big ones are attacks. Yeah, you can fly around the legs and fire the hook, can't you? And and take them down like in the film, and everyone was going mental for that. Uh, but yeah, that that one I'm sure that must have been close to the start of the N64's life, if not a launch title. Um, well, it was November 1998, and I'm not quite sure when the N64 launched, but that's around about the time that we got Ocarina. 1996, so it was two years after it launched. Oh, wow. But I think it was just hugely popular, and again, because it wasn't something you'd expect from a Star Wars game. It was a flight sim when you had predominantly third-person shooters at the time really your side scrollers yeah i mean we oh it was no it was shadow of the empire that launched with the n64 that's what i'm thinking of so yeah there was a launch a launch game but i don't remember an awful lot about that one unless it's the one i'm thinking of and i've just got the name wrong so we got our launch titles for the n64 were fifa 64 pilot wing 64 Star Wars Shadow of the Empire, which I'm surprised doesn't have a 64 tacked on the end of it. <laughs> uh, Super Mario 64, Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, and then completely randomly, Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just completely, completely out of the blue. I mean, I mean th- be thankful that we weren't America, because... I didn't realise we got the N64 so late compared to when it came out yeah. as well. It was like a, over a year, uh, nearly a year later, wasn't it, we got it. But in America, they got it on the 29th of September. And one, two, three, four, five, six of the eight launch titles were delayed. So if you, if you got <laughs> oh, an you N64 on launch in America, the only games you could have were Super Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. Literally everything else got delayed. I mean, thankfully that's all you'd have needed at the time. But I mean, so Body Harvest, Cruising USA, both got delayed through content issues. Turok, a wave race, got delayed, but there's no reason to as to why. Same for Star Wars, but that one they told everyone it was coming out until like the day before, and then they pulled it. And then a game that I've literally never heard of called Tetrasphere was delayed due to quality issues. Now, if that's any relation to Tetris, I think we've been vindicated once again. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine a spherical Tetris? <laughs> I Which is exists. what I think well, that it sounds game like is. it does. I'm going to Google it and see what it is, because it sounds horrific. Oh, that sounds... I mean, yeah, you are right, because, I mean, it came out in Japan in July of 1996. The Americans got it in September... And we had to wait till May of twenty of nineteen ninety seven to get a uh, an N sixty four. Jesus Christ, we get left out. Jesus, it is spherical Tetris. You like you oh, build. No. You're building a globe out of tetraminos. Oh no! And it it looks like it would. Yeah, I, it, the still images are making me feel ill. So <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like when you're actually playing it. It looks no. like one of those. You know those. Um, Puzzles you buy, yeah, where they've all got a, a specific interlocking way of fitting together mm. to make the the original object. Jesus wept. <laughs> it also looks like some sort of shovelware thing that you get for the Wii. Because look at the characters and stuff in it; it just <laughs> it looks horrific. No wonder that got pulled for quality issues. And yet they still released it anyway. <laughs> I was going to say it doesn't look like they actually resolved them, does it? Based on those pictures, they just got bored and put it out. But that concludes Star Wars, I think. We've no other Star Wars games on it. I don't know if it's one I've got much interest in doing an extra episode on, because as many Star Wars games as there are out there, there's not that many that I love, I wouldn't say. We could talk about Yoda stories, I suppose. (laughs) To be fair, there's not that many that you can play still, because they're either on... I mean, I know stuff like TIE Fighter... Has still has a massive following now, and people still play that damn thing. But yeah, loads of them are defunct or off consoles, that, and they just can't run them on modern PCs because of how old the architecture is for them. Or, like, Nintendo just don't port the f***ing things, but <laughs> not that I'm bitter. 
We'll revisit Star Wars when we do a Lego games episode. Okay. That seems like a fair way to do it. So we will do that. Anything else happened this week? I think other than the Metal Gear Solid crisis, which which we can talk about. I can't think of much else. There's not really been a lot going on, has there? I, I haven't played Detective Pikachu. It's still cellophane up. Uh, I've got the pin badge out, and that's as far as I got, so I can't really comment on that one. What I can comment on is the fact that Sonic Superstars is 55 quid uh, f- <laughs> for a basically a game that could have come out 30 years ago and still looked exactly the same. So I'm a bit annoyed at that because I did want that game, but I'm, I was always going to be between that and one, uh, Mario Wonder, and I'm thinking Mario Wonder's probably the one that's not going to drop in price by Christmas. So I may as well go with that one first. Yes. So now that you've brought it up, now that you've reopened the wound, as it were, a couple of weeks ago, or whenever it is you're listening to this podcast, we we had a conversation about, you know, titles that we would like to revisit. And I enthusiastically, probably over-enthusiastically in hindsight, informed you and Jay that there was a uh, Metal Gear Solid remake disc or remaster disc for the original three coming out on the PS5. When I originally found it on Amazon, it was selling at £26. We recently looked it up on Amazon. It is now retailing for 45 quid everywhere else, and Amazon has mysteriously uh, misplaced its um, selection of Metal Gear Solid for the PS5 because it's no longer on there at all. But every other retailer, it's 45 quid. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't. It's like Amazon put it on thinking, well, they can't charge more than this for it, surely, and just guessed. Yeah. And then rather yeah. than, because they usually honour the price point, don't they, for stuff. Rather than doing that, they've sort of gone, oh, we're not getting it now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe like a week after launch, it'll be back on for for full whack. I don't know, but it's not worth, let's be honest, it's not worth 55 quid, 45, 55 quid. As much much content as there is in it, it's still games from, what, 2007 was the last game on that compilation? So you're looking at 15 years ago, these games came out and yeah and then the other ones obviously a lot earlier than that you are going past the the 20 year mark as good as they are and as much effort as they might have put into remastering them i don't think they've put 55 quids worth of effort into them no and maybe i'm wrong maybe it costs a fortune to remaster these games and and it'll be fantastic but my argument is that i could go out and buy a fully working ps1 and metal gear solid 1 2 and 3 and get probably a fully working PS2 and I don't think I'd be much over 100 quid and I'd yeah. have that that console that I could then play all other games on as well so yeah it's and and then if even more so if you get one of the um the little PS1s you know the PS1 Minis. classic which yeah which now go for an exorbitant amount because they're incredibly easy to hack I mean, you could pick them up for a fiver at one point because people absolutely <laughs> hated them. And now they're selling for about 90 quid, I think, because you can run any PlayStation 1 game on them. You could get one of them for 90 quid and play any PlayStation game you wanted off a USB stick, including Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3, you'd need the PS2. But even then, there's other ways to get these games that don't cost 55 quid, aren't there? And I've not seen anything to suggest that the remastering is worth that value. No, and it does does make me nervous about the Tomb Raider remaster, mm. remaster that we uh, spoke about in the same episode. It, it worries me that we are going to get rinsed, or they're going to try to anyway, because it's just on the Switch, and we yeah, all they... know that cartridges hold the value. I get the feeling that is going to be a 40, 45 quid game, and it's just never going to come down. No, and I don't think Tomb Raider, because we said at the time, They've not been remastered to today's quality, have they, the Tomb Raider ones? They're this weird in-between graphic style that looks nicer than the originals, but also doesn't look like it's coming out in 2023. Yeah. So I'm not 100% sure where that one's going to land. If they'd got any sense, they'd pitch it around the 30 quid mark, I think. I think they'd sell more, and they'd probably make more money doing it that way than trying to charge 45 50 
obviously Konami haven't gone that route with this one unless something drastic is going to happen in, is it coming out next week? So Something like that, it's relatively soon. So they've not got long to figure out what's going on with it, but I think, yeah, game, it's 55 quid, and when I saw that, I nearly dropped through the floor. It's just, <laughs> it's just madness. But we sort of expected it, I think we did call it, didn't we? And said there's a good chance they're going to absolutely rinse people for these, and it looks like at the minute that's the route they're going. Whether it'll be like 25 by Christmas, I don't know. 24th of October, so yeah, so about two weeks. weeks on date of recording. We'll, we'll see what Amazon do, whether they put it back on, but for a higher price. Is it still not on now? Shall I have a look? Because yeah. if, if Amazon hadn't have listed it for so low, then I wouldn't have even questioned it. But the fact that they put it on, so, oh, it's back on. No, it isn't. No, that's a that's the definitive experience. Sorry, yeah, it's still it's still listed as currently unavailable. We don't know when or if this item will ever be back in stock. <laughs> I I assume it will, Amazon. <laughs> and to be fair, looking at the screenshots of it on that listing, they haven't put a great deal of effort into the remaster that I can Judged. see. That is yeah, it. They... Judged. Metal Gear 1 looks smooth. That's the only difference. Like the the character models look smooth. They still look they still look like PS1 graphics just with the edges sanded off. And I mean to be fair, it does have a lot of stuff in it, doesn't it? Cuz it has the original all the original games as well. Famicom ones. Yeah. And then it's got some videos in it and a digital soundtrack and and a couple of other like books which are, do people like that? Because I've never Digital ever books. been. No. I, well, I've never even been persuaded to buy a game by a physical art book. Never mind a digital one. Like I can just Google it if I want to see pictures from a game. I don't need a don't need a book cluttering up my house just to to look at some pictures every so often. But yeah, very strange one. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that situation and bring you more soon. Next week, I can reveal what games we are doing already. Because as Eddie pointed out earlier on, as he was getting blitzed by the fireworks it is spooky season so we will be looking at silent hill 2 and i think silent hill 1's in there as well is it oh is it or, i just thought it was i'm not two. sure it, it might just be two we'll be looking at silent hill in its entirety uh including whichever ones are in the book i know two is i thought there was another one but maybe i'm wrong but yeah we will be looking at silent hill and we'll probably stray into resident evil and all the other horror games out there to bring you a special Halloween episode. So I'm personally looking forward to that because it's my second favourite holiday of the year uh, after Christmas. I can't wait for the Christmas episode. I don't know what we've got planned, but I can't wait for it. So yeah, nice spooky episode next week. So look forward to that one to listen to on a cold dark night when you've got all the lights off avoiding the trick-or-treaters. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Uh, but I will do, speaking of trick-or-treaters, I'll Give our Patreons a shout out because they've once again treated us some money to keep us going. So in the uh, couple of coins tier, we've got Lee this week. In the Bucket Kickers tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair. And in the Avatarish tier, we've got Atropos. So thank you again, you guys. It, it really does help, especially as we pointed out last week, we're going to have to start paying for more stuff now. We're hoping it does increase the quality when we start paying for it and and you guys will actually see a benefit of it but that remains to be seen because we've not started using it yet we're still coasting along on the free version (laughs) until they tell us otherwise (laughs) Um, but hopefully that that does improve it but yeah i think that's everything from me so unless you've got anything video game pokemon related anything along those lines no i'm all good in that case i will say that's goodbye from me and may the force be with you that's goodbye from me Ah, oh, boo.